Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Make It Plain as always. It is definitely time to have the conversation we are about to have. Uh, make no mistake about it. Um, black women are responsible for black woman who is on the national ticket for the White House. And we want to talk to the black women who help make that happen. The two hashtags, win with black women, listen to black women. And you all, everybody knows me. I have no problem doing doing that. I was raised by black women. So being raised by my mother and grandmother, I'm actually a little scared of black women. So I just do what they say. You know, when sister tells me what to do, uh, that's what I do. And uh, both my wives, I didn't propose to them. They told me, you gonna marry me. And I did it because I listen to black women. So um, everybody needs to listen to black women at this moment. Joe Biden did. So we want to introduce um, these dynamic black women who help to make this happen. And I'm just going to mention a little about each one. And then we're going to have a conversation. Um, our dear friend, Jotaka Edie, we've been freedom fighting together for years, but she's the convener of the Win With Black Women movement um, that has convened several hundred black women leaders of every industry. And she's known, for real, as the Olivia Pope of Silicon Valley uh, and is the founder and CEO of Full Circle Strategies. We might end up calling her the Olivia Pope of the uh, whole Democratic campaign, along with these other sisters, because they saved the race, I think. We'll get into that. Um, Mamie Groves is with us too. She's a hospitality professional for the largest private com club company in North America. She's from Virginia. She currently lives in Virginia. She's also a university, a USC graduate, the other USC, University of South Carolina. Um, and being there was, I've, I've just learned this, was a four time 
a track and field national champion. Amen. That's that's very impressive. So we're glad to have a, a national champion here with us um, as well. Um, Karen Finney, we all know and love. Karen Finney has been a communications strategist for the Democratic Party and practically every Democratic campaign um, going back to the Clinton years. Um, formerly had a show on MSNBC. Um, she played a big role uh, in the party uh, in 2000, 2004, 2008, and she managed communications for all of those nominees as well. Hillary Clinton, when she ran for Senate, John Kerry's uh, campaign, Howard Dean. So she has been the consummate uh, political professional as a black woman. And again, I just want to be clear, black women have always played these important roles, but we haven't always given them the credit um, they deserve. Um, and last uh, but not least is Christina Q. She previously served in the Obama administration for all eight years. And during the 2020 presidential cycle, she's worked for Secretary Castro and the Senator Elizabeth Warren campaigns. And she also um, resides in South Carolina, is the lead principal of On Cue Management Group. Natasha Brown is going to rejoin us in a second of, of Black Voters Matter. Um, and just for the record, I see all these South Carolina folk. So <laughs> we'll begin with Miss South Carolina herself, um, Jotaka Edie. Jotaka, tell us what happened last weekend. You all pulled this off literally um, about a week ago, didn't you? Mark, uh, first of all, thank you for having us. Um, it's always good to be with you. You are a friend. I think we've been in the trenches together for probably about 15 years. I, I, I think our first meeting together probably was a planning meeting for the 40th anniversary of the March on Washington. So I think we are, we've been in the trenches on a number of death penalty cases, voting rights cases. So it's good to be with you, my brother. Um, you know, this movement actually started long before any of us that are sitting in this broadcast were even born. And I think it's important to lift up that what, what happened on Tuesday is really a part of a long legacy of black women who have stood in their power, who have resisted against even forces of other women, white women against our brothers that persevered and worked and toiled to ensure that we had that moment. So this, this work that, that you saw at the end really was a, 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 a part of a long legacy. It's also important to note that Black women, particularly as it relates to this 2020 election and this VP ticket, have actually been organizing and speaking out uh, for several months. There was a, a letter that was led by Sisters Lead, Sisters Vote, uh, Holly Holiday, Melanie Campbell, Mignon Moore, and, and so many other sisters um, that we all know, love, and appreciate it. Um, actually led on an, uh, on an open letter to uh, Vice President Biden, urging him to strongly consider a black woman on that ticket. I am very honored to be one of the original 200 women to sign on to that letter. Um, and that letter actually really shaped uh, what became a, a, a very important narrative. And the conversation shifted from, well, if he's, if Vice President Biden is going to point a black woman to that ticket to, how could he not? And so what we also saw was as this conversation shifted, so did the racism, so did the attacks. And so it was, I think the very early part of August, August 1st, I was sitting at home and I just got a spirit in me of enough. It was like absolutely enough. We had seen these narratives. We've seen this conversation about Senator Harris being too, amb too ambitious. We saw the pitting of black women um, against each other. This notion where the political runs this headline or this narrative that um, Congresswoman Karen Bass is the anti Kamala Harris. And, and we saw all of these personal attacks on these black women, all highly qualified black women who were named in the VP process that no other person in the process, the other white women, uh, had not been subjected to, and no man in any previous process had ever been subjected to. And so I just sat there and I sent out an email to about 60 or 70 of my friends 
And I have a lot of friends. I like to do this hashtag, my friends are dope. And um, it wasn't just me because um, I sent out an email, but everyone was feeling the same thing. And we knew what we had to do. And that's what black women always do is come together and save America, um, <laughs> save, save this party. And we came together under a banner of win with black women. And what, and, and what we wanted to do is send a very strong message to everyone, the media, um, to, to even uh, donors, uh, select members of the vetting committee, that what we would not do would be to allow the racism and the sexism that, and that was taking place in this VP process. Also, uh, very many members of, of those, uh, more than 700 women that signed on to this open letter, also wanted to uh, make a very clear point that it was important for there to be a black woman on this ticket. And so uh, that group of, of, of amazing, strong black women, intergenerational from all across the country came together um, and was very loud and clear what we knew both in our hearts, uh, what we knew that the polling showed us that, you know, in swing states, higher heights released the poll. 48% of voters in swing states felt that it was important for Vice President Biden to put a black woman on the ticket. 60% in those swing states of millennials and Gen Z felt that it was important. So we knew in polling, we also knew in our hearts and mind, and also black women were very clear. We were tired of being called the backbone of the party and indeed being the backbone of the party. And it was time for the party to recognize us as the leaders that we always have been, that we are today, and that we will be tomorrow. You know, if I, Mark, can I just add to that, if it's okay? Because part of where this also started, I know Latasha is going to join us shortly. And those of us who did that initial letter, you may remember that very early on, Stacey Abrams, the Biden campaign kind of threw, had her name out there as somebody early on that they might consider for vice president. And then when we found out that her name really was on the list, and I just, as a sidebar, I worked for her campaign in 2018. So I don't want to, so I, I don't love her, but I don't want to, you know, I'm not playing favorites here, but you know, she was so bold and honest about answering the question when reporters said, you're on the tick, you know, your name has been mentioned on the job instead of the kind of usual uh, Washington, you know, the way the men have done it. She said, yes. And here's why I, I'm qualified. Here, here's my bona fides. And I think that's important to, to point out because as black women so often, you know, we get over, we are overqualified, we have credentials, and we get completely overlooked. And what we started to see were some attacks on her for being so bold and so honest. And that was initially part of why we came, to, a group came together under this banner of black and female that you know, yes, some people were, you know, at that point we had a list of about five sisters, I think, or six who we knew were on the, the extended list. But we thought it was so important to unify black women and to show a unified voice that black women needed to be taken seriously as potential vice presidential nominees. That then that was part of how we shifted that conversation from if to why not. And you know, increasingly what was a beautiful thing to see is so many other people joining that conversation publicly, whether it was through op-eds or columns. Um, and I think that's so important because, you know, I think for black women, as Jotake was saying, we just were determined. And certainly when we saw what was going on in the last couple of weeks, that we were not going to let this happen on our watch. I, you know, liken it to, it's one, to my mind, it's one of those moments where 20 years from now, when somebody says, where were you, you know, I wanted to be able to say I was with my sisters and we were trying to make sure this happened because that's how important this is. And we couldn't let this moment pass. No, that's very important. And, and Karen, let me ask you this, having been an activist within the party for a number of years, I had a former mayor of DC, Sharon Pratt on with me the other evening. And she probably is a black woman that has the longest history. She was a, a treasurer within the party in the late eighties, early nineties. And she described how black women have historically been treated in the party. She, and she used a term that was shocking to a few people. Aaron, Aaron Haynes was on with us and she drew back when she said it. But Mayor, Mayor Sharon said that um, at that time, up until what happened today, that the party often treated black women, in her words, like a midnight love. 
and that was it. That is his fight. Yeah, that's what she said. And it went viral. It's, it's going viral right now. It's still on social media. So um, I want to get your reaction to that. And if you could give some historical perspective, because you have been um, uh, working in the party and employee of the party and probably not gotten a lot of the credit um, that you deserve. And I can remember a time when you were the only black woman uh, that was doing a lot of things that were going on in the party on a staff level and on a campaign level. So give people just a historical context of how far we've come from that. Well, I mean, I have to remind people that actually people like Mignon Moore, who worked with Reverend Jackson and also has been, you know, a, just such a major force in the Democratic Party, Reverend Le- Bishop Leah Daughtry, uh, who was my chief of staff at the DNC when I was there with Howard Dean, uh, Donna Brazil, you know, Nep does not get the credit she deserves. She was she is the first and only black woman to run a presidential campaign. And by the way, it was a campaign we won were it not for hanging chads and all kind of other, you know, craziness, foolishness. Uh, and so Yolanda Carraway, I mean, there's so many black women. And it, yeah, you know, I think I would liken it to feeling like the help and not feeling like the voices and faces who were out in front but doing a lot of the work behind the scenes. And I think for a while, you know, yeah, there are people who are happy to do that because we just wanted to win and we wanted to see things move forward, but then recognizing, you know what, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to folks coming up behind us to see that black women are leaders in this party, are the people, you know, and I think certainly with the elections of more black women to Congress, I think of Auntie Maxine, but think about how many black women we have now in Congress, and we have more black women in terms of elected officials and changing the idea of uh, how we think about women in power and specifically black women in power. And, you know, yeah, being sometimes the only one at these tables to say, you know, you can't say that. We can't, we can't do that. What about the black folks? What about this vote? And, you know, I'll tell you, Mark, the other thing, having been in progressive circles for so long that I think is really important in this moment is as we know, historically, you know, it has been taken for granted by the Democratic Party and progressives that black people were progressive and were Democrats without having to feel like they had to work for our vote. And I remember in 2005, when Howard Dean became chair, him saying, it's not to say that other chairs haven't done this, but this idea of you got to show up and ask people for their vote and ask them for their support. And really changing that mentality, which I think has been happening over a period of time, that the Democratic Party, you know, owes it to the black community, and we're not a monolith, to actively reach out to us and ask for our vote, not just assume you have it. And so that, I think, has been a big part of the struggle uh, and the work that has been going on within the party. And I'll just be clear, you know, it's like when Barack Obama was elected, people were like, oh, we're post-racial. No. (laughs) it's not all fixed, but this is such a huge, important moment. Um, You know, Mignon made this wonderful point about this is writing, you know, to my mind, it's writing a new chapter in the history of black women in our country, that we have a black woman vice president. Um, And I think it is important that people see that black women were behind, you know, mobilized behind her in a way that made the difference. Karen, Karen, I know you have to run. I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. Um, um, what are your thoughts about the attacks that we are now seeing, which I don't think are surprising uh, to any of us, but there are attacks coming. You know, when some, I think when someone's being attacked from all directions, then it means they probably are doing something right. Um, so you have the white supremacists and the white right wing and then Trump. Um, and then you have um, an online movement that we all know helped to derail Kamala Harris's campaign during the primary with a lot of falsehood, trying to divide the black community. Um, what are your thoughts about all of these efforts and um, are they going to be a hindrance or do you have confidence that the majority of voters would see through all of this and, and do the right thing? Well, I have confidence in our people because of the way we came together behind Kamala when, and behind the concept of a, a black woman VP and now behind Kamala. You know, 
Um, Joteca mentioned these letters. The first letter has over a thousand signatories to it. And the second one, I think over 1500, there was a letter by a hundred black men. So I think people, our community realized we had to get behind her in a big way. And I think it is for us to also make sure that we're putting out correct information about her, because certainly some of those memes and themes from the primary are still out there. And we got to stop people from repeating some of them. But, you know, from the from Trump and the right wing, you're exactly right. I mean, what, it took them an hour <laughs> to, to go ahead and attack her. Here's what I would say about this, though. This othering, this birtherism stuff that they're trying to do. They're trying to whitewash us out of history and out of and delegitimize our existence and our role in this country and our power in this country. And I think we have the most important thing we can do. I think we learned this lesson, frankly, from Barack Obama. I think we have to hold the media accountable. They need to, you know, I was pleased that they said this is, it is a lie. It is not a fact that she is not an American. We have to call, we have to stop that in its tracks and be very firm and very clear to call out sexism, to call out racism, to call out the lies. Because the barrage, this is the Trump strategy, you know, having gone up against him in 2016, this is what we saw. They just try to muddy the waters with as much junk and misinformation as possible. So we've got to be the trusted voices that people can go to and say, okay, well, let me check this out. That doesn't sound right to me, so let me go find this out. Um, I think that that has to continue. We have to be aggressive about it. I think the women who have come together are committed to doing that. Um, but I really think a big piece of this is also holding the media accountable for not trafficking in racism and sexism. And, and the last thing I'll say, Mark, is, you know, look, this is a learning experience for all of us. We've never had a black woman on the ticket. So, you know, we've got that's part of why we've got to hold people accountable. We've got to be vocal about this because some folks are going to make mistakes. They may not realize that it's racist or sexist, even if they should. So we've got to be there to, to keep it to keep it straight. And that was part of what we did, you know, in the last couple of weeks to say we're not going to talk about personal traits like ability. She's too ambitious. Talk about what she brings to the table. Talk about what she can right. do for the ticket. And, you know, we've already seen over $26 million, I think it is, that they've raised. So, she, she, you know, she's already bringing a lot to the ticket. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And, and, and we're also seeing she's a black woman. But I've been hearing, obviously, the whole nation of Jamaica is, you know, just overwhelmed. So, and you know, you know how fa Jamaican family is, you know, they, they serious once they get in on something. Um, Indian, the Indian community. Yeah. I've even heard from women in the Asian community. Um, uh, the Queensboro president here is Korean. Yeah. And she was in tears because they see, their children see them, see Kamala Harris and they see themselves. So this is a, a monumental um, moment. And, and, you know, I was one of the, Latasha hit me up over the weekend. She said, Mark, we need to get a hundred black men on this letter. That's we right. organized, we got our brothers together. All of you sisters watching this now, tell your brother and brethren to get on this too. Black men, we got to stand up and for once um, um, support black women and get and get behind them. Um, Karen, if you got to run, I understand. But if you want to stick around, you're welcome to stay. We love you, though. Love. Thank you, thank you, thank so you for all your hard work over the years. Because these women are powerful. So enjoy. And, we, and we'll, we will talk again. We'll be hearing more from you. Because yeah. listen. If we're going to have a black woman on a ticket, we need to have more black women in these commentator roles, too. I'm still watching TV and it's a bunch of white men talking about Kamala Harris. So we need to right. So we need, <laughs> we need to stay on it. Love you, Karen. All right. Latasha's here. We're going to come back to her. Let me go to uh, Christina. Christina, how did you get involved in this and, and, and what made you um, decide to, to sign on to the letter and, and be active in this yourself? So one thing I, um, I accidentally omitted is that I am also the chief of staff to Full Circle Strategies, Amen. which 
which is Joteka's um, firm um, that we um, are building. Um, you know, Joteka, as you said, is Olivia Pope of Silicon Valley. And um, so I have been working uh, with her to build a team and we have clients. And um, and so overnight, anything that Joteka does really, um, and truly anything that she does, um, I'm, I'm her sidekick and I'm right there, right beside her, um, doing whatever we need to do in the background to get it done. You know, wh whoever we need to connect on email, whatever documents need to be drafted, whatever we need to do, I'm right there to get it done. And so, um, so like we were talking about earlier as a millennial, for me, I'm happy um, to be in this space to see the intergenerational mix of this group come together. So your Leah Daughtry's, your Donna Brazil's, you know, that was, you know, a political idol for me to like, you know, work for, with and, you know, for Donna Brazil. And now to be able to work in a collaborative space with her and then even younger sisters who are just getting out of college, um, you know, go Gamecocks, uh, maybe and Joe take up. But, you know, uh, so as a millennial, it's like just really exciting to be in this space where we can collaborate and come behind a common cause. And, you know, I have, I think we were all looking for, you know, even working on these campaigns in the 2020 cycle, everybody was looking for that Barack Obama, like magical, you know, candidate that was going to just really excite us again, especially as black people. And I think, you know, um, in a roundabout way, took us several candidates to get there. But I think this moment, um, it really feels like that all over again, where we are like energized as a race. And, um, and I'm just really excited about, you know, to see what's going to come and how our, our community is going to come together and coalesce. Um, and, and we're going to build that, you know, wall around Kamala Harris to protect her for this ticket. Christine and I were, were, were plotting y'all before the rich came on about the, the wall that needs to be uh, built um, because there's there's so much, um, there's so many things going on online that are targeting her. And I already know for a fact that some of that is foreign. Yeah. All right. A lot of these accounts y'all looking at are not real black people. Mm. I'm going to give you one way to tell this. I'm going to give y'all a little tip. If you see an account with a black person's face that is not a digital photograph, because everybody, even seeing citizens got a, a digital phone now and look like something they copy pasted out of a yearbook, question that. And then when there's a whole string of numbers as a part of the Twitter name, question mm -hmm. it. You know, and look and look at what's what's being said. What's your message, um, Christina? Um to some of our younger people who spend an inordinate amount of time on social media, who are being targeted and propagandized thoroughly. Um, the, the millennials, um, the Gen Zers, like myself. What, what do you say to, to all of the young people who are, who are looking at what they're looking and, and being thoroughly confused on purpose? Um, I, you know, it's funny too, cause I'm like, I'm a little on that cusp where I'm not that um, young person that's on Twitter and I don't get over consumed by Twitter and I'm not posting every day and all that. Um, but I would say, you know, step out of your bubble and educate yourself, right? Like I would say, you know, like listen to what's going on and pay attention because like everything you see on social is, is just so much and they're inundated with so many things. And that, that was one of the first things I told Secretary Castro. Um, I was like, you know, don't worry about what Twitter is saying. You know, we got to worry about the reality and like, you know, get back into the real world. And unfortunately in this, you know, coronavirus space, we are in a very digital um, community right now. And that is where everyone is getting their information from. And so I would just say, you know, like you're saying, like, check your source, you know, if you're reading this stuff, like, you know, pay attention. Like I was looking up somebody, he was a, a peer of mine and I looked up his Twitter and then I saw he was kind of talking about Kamala as a cop and all this stuff in his Twitter in his Twitter feed. And I was like, no, that's not the move. And, you know, and, and we also got to communicate and talk to each other, right? Like we can only be the best advocate, you know, be the change you want to see. And so like, if you're seeing stuff out there, making sure you're sharing the right information with your networks and making sure you're informing your social circles and saying, hey, no, actually this is what's going on or this is where we are and this is where we need to be. This is where we need to get to, you know, like even in our group, everybody wasn't for, you know, we didn't want to pick one person over the other. So everybody may not have been favored 
interpreting Kamala Harris, but, you know, coalescing around, hey, we are going to support this black sister, whoever she is. And we're going, and now that it's Kamala Harris, we're definitely going to support her and be behind her 1000%. Like, I think that's where the power is that we have as a people, because, you know, we are not monolithic, but, you know, when it's someone of our, of our family, if you will, you know, that's where we all got to put our differences aside and come together and say, hey, we got her 1000% and we're going to do whatever it takes to get her through there. Mamie Groves, four-time national champion. Um, what about what about you? How'd you get in, in, involved in this? And and on that on that note, um, as Christina was saying, because maybe all of you weren't for Kamala. So let me just ask you that: Were you for Kamala, or was you for any one of the black women that he might have chosen? Would you have been satisfied with that? I would have been one hundred percent satisfied. You know, to see someone that looks remotely like me, I'm all for it, you know, and I think that was the biggest thing. And how I got involved, of course, is Joe Taker, uh, the Gamecock connection. But for me, being a, you know, someone in corporate America and being on these calls with all these wonderful, powerful women that are, um, you know, in a political arena was very eye opening to me. This was my first experience sitting on a call with all these powerful women that are just in the, like like they said, like in the background, just, just moving things, making things happen. And then, you know, what really made me uh, set it on fire inside of my heart, and I'm like, you know what, I'm all in, whatever I can do, I'm gonna do, is because the comment of two ambitious, you know, being someone that works, not only, I work in the golf industry, so I work in a very male, white, dominant industry. And so being in that type of industry, you know, and I worked in the hotel industry for 12 years before that, which again is ran by mostly in North America, uh, white males. And so, you know, I when I, when I heard the two words, too ambitious, it just took me back to a place when I first started in my career where, you know, number one, I'm six feet tall. You know, there's no missing me when I walk in a room. And it's always, I always felt like I had to, you know, make myself smaller than what I am. I can't do that. You know, I always had to change my tone of voice to make people feel comfortable or, you know, um, you know, always feeling like I'm being too ambitious. And so, you know, when I heard that, it just was like, you know what, we're not going to allow this to happen. Um, this is not only happening within the political party, but it, it happens to black women and, you know, across the board. Again, it's the same thing in corporate America. And so for me, you know, when when I was on these calls at nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, um, going back and forth with Joe Taka, I'm like, you know what? I, I really am. I'm going to support and I'm going to move forward with this support her wholeheartedly and like christina says you know christina said you know when i see stuff on social media i don't get in back and forth in a debate you know but i will put the correct information out there because it is necessary for us to do that you know and and i'm just excited about it i think it speaks to a lot of women like me no matter where they are in their career if they're fresh out of college or if they are the vice president or senior vice president or CEO, we all can relate to her. And that's why it means so much to me to be a part of this. Amen. Well, and we're glad to be part of it. And see, we have a, um, a vast array of black women folks from all walks of life. For the most part, I mean, three of them are Gamecocks, but still <laughs> spaces, there is a differentiation. Um, and the women who signed this letter in sheer number was a, a, a diverse group of black women. Uh, Latasha Brown, um, first of all, why don't you share with everyone what you and I did on Monday, what happened when you reached out to me? Uh, and uh, <laughs> Midnight out. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and then what this means in terms of, because let's be clear, you know, black people have to be motivated. We have to be motivated to get out to the polls, um, and we need that inspiration. What it means to have this sister on the ticket versus the same old, same old in terms of voter mobilization. Well, as, as I get ready to talk about that, I do want, because um, I just, one, I have got to acknowledge 
these bad young sisters. Like I, at the end of the day, I've got to give them, Joe Taker was our leader, right? She pulled this together and, and, and I think it's critical. The reason why I wanna raise something too is we need to also be prepared for what's coming. The tax are not just coming on um, Kamala. The tax are actually coming on us. And the way that the tax are gonna come is actually to divide and shift the narrative. And so there are two things in particular. I do a lot of, um, I've been contacted by a lot of media and been doing a lot of media stuff lately. And today alone, and I think this is critical, today alone I got three phone calls from, um, from media outlets um, major media outlets at start asking the question at some form or fashion around the um, the generational divide of in supporting Kamala and I and and what was interesting is I asked all three of them what was your source I hear what they wanted me to respond on the generational divide of where, why there were older people supporting Kamala and then younger people not supporting Kamala and so I said well where did y'all get that from Tell me what the evidence was or where, where did you get that from? Not one of them could give me even where they had even a conversation. So somehow that narrative is being floated. And so I'm saying that because we got to get in front of it because if you challenge them on it, like they're literally like to one of them had to acknowledge it was like, I really don't know. Like this is kind of what she was given. And I was like, yeah, so there are narratives that are being cooked up that are basically trying to say that there's this divide but when I know, and I wanted to um, uh, just lift up Joe, Joe, Joe Taker and her team, you know, in this space, because on that call, this sister had, we had 20, from a 22 year old, all the way up to a 90 year old, like ultimately we had the spectrum of black women. And so that, what I am noticing that there is a particular narrative, there's three narratives that I just want us to be mindful of because the attacks are coming. And the way that the attacks will come is that not, if they can't attack and bring Kamala down, what they will do is seek to divide us. And so, and to start pitting around our issues against each other. The first thing I've been seeing, cause black women have just been too strong and unified for them. It's about to run them crazy y'all. They just don't understand. So they gotta find something that feels like it's controversial in that three reporters y'all, three different, one of them was a TV outlet. The other two were print media, major outlets. Um, and so I'm raising that cause I was like, okay, I see it coming and I just want us to get rare. I see it coming. So I, I think part of what has to happen is we got to tell the story. My grandmother used to sing this all by and by Lord till the morning comes. All of the saints will come together as one. When we'll tell the story, how we overcome. And like in that, and we'll understand it better by and by. The part of it in there is we will tell the story how we overcome. And that ultimately, this is our story. We got to own it, stand in it, shape it. Anybody that comes up against us around this story, we shutting them down. Try us if you want to. Somebody better tell, Mark, you better tell them about, they don't know the fury of like, like you know from a black woman. They better, somebody better tell them. But ultimately, I'm saying this because I'm seeing these narratives like now y'all are creating a narrative that it's the older women that push Kamala and younger women that, where y'all get that from? Matter of fact, I even raised it to him. I said, the, what's interesting uh, is that it was the younger women who were leading this leg of the, of, of, of the marathon, that there were sisters all along that had the baton and carried it. And at this leg in the, on the marathon, she was the, the young sisters that was like, come on, we, we ready for our part that was standing up and creating the social media and keeping us on point. We just need to be mindful of that and pushing that narrative out. The second thing is, if y'all notice, the narrative now is that Biden went after um, uh, selected Kamala Harris because she was a safe choice. She wasn't saying two months ago. That ain't what y'all were saying two months ago. That's not what you were saying two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, she was too ambitious. She was too this. She was too bad. All of that. Now, all of a sudden, she's a safe choice. Not only does that diminish her, but people don't want to give us our wins either right that it is without question that the reason why we have a, a black vp and we're gonna give we're gonna give vice president biden his props because he didn't have to select her right but let me be real clear right let me be real clear who cooked up the ingredients and made this gumbo and was like if you want something to eat you're gonna try this right if that is if you're trying to eat Right, you ain't gotta eat if you don't want to, but if you want to be fed, you might need to try this gumbo. Uh. 
So my point is that even in that narrative that she say marginalizes the work that we've done, marginalizes the work that black women have been beating the drum for the last couple of months. So now all of a sudden she was the most obvious choice. She was the safe choice in, in an attempt to marginalize that black women were relentless across the board around, there was a core group of black women that were relentless about this. So I think that's the second thing that we're gonna to have to dispel a part of the narrative. And I think the third thing is this narrative that, yes, we've got this black woman that's on the ticket um, and that's for black voters. Let me be real clear that when you look at Stacey Abrams, when you look at what happened with um, Ayanna Presley, when you, sisters have been pulling people all across the board it ain't just that we're attract that our candidates are attracting black voters. They're also building, we build the most multiracial coalition than any candidate on the ticket. But the narrative again wants to reduce and marginalize us. Not this time. In the spirit of Harriet, y'all better come on. In the spirit of Sojourner Truth, y'all better come on. In the spirit of, 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 of Amelia Boynton, y'all better come on. My point is this right here. They're not taking this narrative and they're not taking this story. And we've got to be diligent about not just saying that we're going to win this election, but we ain't stopping there. We ain't going nowhere. So this ain't one of them things that we gave you what you wanted. We, no, we on to the next thing. Now we're talking about what's the agenda, right? How are we going to see the agenda in terms of our people? Um, we're going to take this moment and celebrate because it is a moment to be celebrated. But I also want to make sure that we recognize that this moment was co-created, was created. The conditions were created by black women, right, to, for him to do the right thing. And then I got to bring in the brothers. So when I am, when I need some organizing, when I need some, like, I need to get a message out, when I need an ally, I, and when I need my brother on the line with me, there's three brothers that I call. One of them I work with, who is my partner, um, Cliff Albright. But Mark Thompson, I can bet on Mark, brothers, sisters. Like, I have never called that brother and asked him for anything, any support and help, and he has not showed up and showed up in a big way. We called him in 11th hour. I mean, like in the 11th hour. <laughs> right? um, around the need of, of we wanted the men to know that this letter was circulating. And so Mark got on it. I couldn't even, I, every time I pick up my phone, he's like, bam, this name, this name, that. You got, you got him, sister? You got him, sister Mark? You know, what is interesting though, I will tell you about what's different about the brothers and the sisters. Just, just, just a quick, just black inside joke. The sisters were sending their names. The brothers were Reverend Dr. Bishop, <laughs> PhD, Whatever, I ain't mad at them. I ain't mad at them, but be real clear. The brothers are like, y'all gonna know who I am and all my letters and titles. <laughs> but it but but it was all good. It was all and then I think I got one that says the reverend. I was like, well, I wonder how you become the reverend. But you know what? We, Latasha, we had a couple of we had a couple of those, Latasha. We did have some. Okay, all right. But I feel a little bit better. I feel a little better. <laughs> Well, no, that, that's that's amazing, and and it is a it is a big day. Now, you um, you weren't hearing what someone was talking earlier, and I'm gonna go back to Joe Taker now. And any of you feel free to jump in if if you like as we do this. Um, I got a little PTSD from the past 48 hours because I did talk to some millennials and some millennial women um, who had been thoroughly propagandized, uh, but they can't name anything specific. Um, and then I'm sure when the media were talking, they were talking about social media accounts that they didn't even know were real. Okay. So Joe Taker, what is your message to those who have any doubt, any concern, um, especially women who are like, well, I don't know. Um, I know Ava DuVernay posted something yesterday that was really strong about that. But what's your message, Joe Taker, to those who are still not went over. I was, I was chastised the other day uh, in a meeting for being too dismissive. Mark, you got to listen to this. You got to, but I, I corrected one brother. He said this, cause he was a, this is a Bernie Sanders support. And I said, a lot of this is still coming from leftover Sanders stuff to be frank with you. And his brother said to me, uh, well, her being chosen was a victory for the neo liberal wing of the party. That same old rhetoric. 
And I laid him out. I said, no, 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 you disrespect black women. This is a victory for black women did this. This was not some neoliberal way. Black women spoke up and made, him, made it clear to him that he needed to eat some of this gumbo uh, if he wanted something to eat. So to you- The candidate might be the candidate right now if he knew how, he, if, he, if he humbled himself and looked at the gumbo. Because part of the reason why they didn't get supported was that kind of arrogance right there that literally is why black women didn't support, even though there were things in Bernie Sanders' agenda that we supported, but many of his supporters have a certain kind of arrogance. And I'm not even gonna talk about the list right. that they did put out, which were two white women and a black woman and didn't even include Nina Turner. But I'm gonna be quiet, I'm gonna go to my corner. Amen, amen, that's a whole nother thing. Um, uh, Joe Taker, what's your reaction to all that? And please share a message for those listening and watching um, who have any doubt or question and are frankly too lazy to look up the real truth about her record. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I'm known for being very nice. But on this question, <laughs> that, that, this, this question, this is a, this is a point where I, I, my message to those folks is it's a simple question. Ask yourself, why are you doing the bidding of the enemy? Because that's exactly what's happening. And, this, and now, again, Christina said this, black folks are not monolithic. And we absolutely have to hold everybody accountable. But what bothers me is that we are so quick to, to, to put Senator Harris under a microscope that we have not even put or subjected anybody else under that same microscope. Nobody was asking questions about Tim Kaine or his record, all of this other stuff. And yes, this is a very important year. Uh, this, this vice presidency is very important. But what bothers me is that we are so busy, we so overly woke that we want to tear down Senator Kamala Harris to the detriment of our people. And I, I would say this to those people and remind them that there are nearly 40 million people in this country that are not working, that we are in the middle of an economic hardship, that we have our brothers are, and our sisters are gunned down, choked, can't breathe over and over and over again. The, the officers that killed Breonna Taylor are not arrested. There's been no justice for Ahmaud Arbery, no justice for George Floyd, no justice for Sandra Bland, no justice for Trayvon Martin, on and on and on and on again. I can keep going on and on and on. We are living in a pandemic that has been mismanaged by the Trump administration. More than 160,000 Americans that are no longer with us, 5 million people have been subjected to this disease. It's mismanaged. We don't know when we're gonna get out of this. And we're dealing with a racial and a racial pandemic in this country. And so you have to ask yourself, are you so woke? Are you so woke that you want us to continue to live like this? Because I can tell you from my own lived experience, from my little town in Johnsonville, where my cousin who worked at a hotel where she contracted COVID and was told by her hotel that she could not get paid time off unless she could prove that she had uh, contracted disease at her work. Or I can tell you about my other relatives that are laid off and they're not working and they don't have the hours because of what we're dealing with in this nation that they, nor me, nor vast many millions in this country cannot afford to live with four more years of Trump. So we gotta ask ourselves, what is the end game? Like, who, like what is your wokeness really about? Is your wokeness about being on an agenda or is your wokeness about the people? Right. And putting these people back at the center because if you want to focus on the people, That's right. the ultimate goal is to get this out of the White House that's in the White House. We gotta get him out. And so, yes, you can hold Senator Kamala Harris accountable. You can hold Vice President Biden accountable. I'm not saying that anybody gets a free pass, but we cannot allow ourselves to just be so divided like lines on graphing paper that we can't even get anywhere or be able to liberate our people in a manner that we can. And I think sometimes we are so overly woke that we sometimes are just have a, a, a bit of, of, of sleep deprivation that we can't really see in front of us because, you know, when I get super sleepy and super tired, I can't necessarily move forward in a way that I should. And, and I don't want to in any way downgrade 
some of the claims and some of the questions that these folks have is important. But I do think that it's a point in America where we have to come together, particularly as an oppressed people, and recognize what is the true enemy. Who is the true enemy? Because this is what they want us to do. They want us to be divided. They want to dilute our power. Because when we come together as a people, when we come together as a unified people, we are powerful. If we didn't have this power, they wouldn't spend millions of dollars to try to suppress our votes. They wouldn't spend millions of dollars to try to take over the postal service and slow down uh, uh, the ballots. It wouldn't be that important. So there is some power in our collective ability to come together and vote. But what we're doing is we're walking into the trap that they want us to walk into and we have to be like, no. And I'm saying we don't have to, we don't have to give a pass, but we also, we, we just can't just shoot ourselves in the foot to the point where we can't walk free. Um, you don't have a lot of time left, but jump in. So, Christina, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say something to follow up on Joe Taker's point. It's like literally our lives depend on it, right? Like I was working for a local candidate. Um, she was a client of mine in South Carolina, in Columbia. And you would think South Carolina is a Republican state. They're not going to worry about South Carolina in the, in the general election because they're going to think they're going to get it. Well, Joe Taker mentioned, we have Jamie Harrison running for Senate in South Carolina. So South Carolina is going to be a national focus coming in November. And so you also got to think about all these other states that have that are typically red, but these voter suppression tactics that they're going to try in this election is going to be un precedented like you can go in your black communities where you go vote and it's going to take you hours to go vote due to COVID-19 due to you know you don't know where your election place is you don't you can't you physically can't get there because the traffic is um is bad so there's going to be all these unprecedented tactics to try to hinder black people specifically from voting and I saw it in the June primary here in South Carolina in local records a local election and i was i called my friends on the biden campaign and i said hey are y'all paying attention because the republicans are doing a dry run in all of these states so like literally just to follow up on what joe taker is saying your little life depends on it the life of your family members depend on it i you know our whole livelihood our opportunities depend on it you know fair housing was just um revoked by donald trump the fair housing act was just pulled back in um, by Donald Trump, which was something that the Obama administration worked on for years. And that is so critical to our community. And so um, we just have to, like Joe Taker said, you can be so woke sometimes when you sleep and we need to wait, all wake up and get on the same page because we all got one common goal and that's to get rid of Donald, Donald Trump. Mamie, you have some, some, some closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the ladies. Our lives depend on it. Um, again, I think it's important. You know, I like the the code. That's what I've been seeing going around. That's what I've been sharing. Follow the code. Uh, and the code is have your sister back. You know, I'm in a you know I'm in a sorority, and that's the thing. What we what we do among us is among us. But when we in public, we're one. There's no dividing. So everyone just follow the code and we'll win this. So that's my thing. I'm sticking to cold. You said you in the sorority. You in the same sorority she is? No, I am uh, a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. Like Latasha. But Latasha. it's all Delta. Greek love. <laughs> what are you, Latasha? I don't know why. I thought you were, I thought you were, okay. Are others of you in a sorority? No, okay. But But it looks like even those who are not AKAs want to support a member. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well, the truth of the matter is, we're often the sorority. Black women. So you got the sorority, you got the HBCU, and I just found out the other day she's a link. So that's a wrap. Okay. So <laughs> that's a whole other thing right there. So take a What's the and this won't be the last time we talk because we got to do battle against some of these demons. But Joteka, um, what what are what's next? What's next immediately on your plate in terms of going forward to win with black women? Well, black women win with black women is a collective of black women leaders, as as Natasha shared, from from Hazel Dukes, who's eighty eight years old, to Celia McFadden, who is twenty one years old is a part of this, this network of black women. And, and what's next is, is, is exactly what we have. We're gonna do what we have to do. 
you know, we we envision and we know what we want to see as this historic, it's already a history making moment, but we know it'll be even more historic the day that Senator Kamala Harris put her hands on that Bible and does that oath and is sworn in as vice president. But we know that we won't see that day unless we actually win. And so we're going to do three things. We're going to make sure, number one, that we're pushing back on the racism. We're pushing back on the sexist attacks that we know are coming and they're going to keep coming. Well, number two, we're going to do everything in our personal capacities to leverage our networks, to leverage our, our influence and to leverage our brilliance to ensure that there is a victory in 2020 for not only Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Biden, but for all of the black women that are running up and down the ticket in states across this country. And number three, we're gonna make sure, as Latasha says, that we're gonna make sure that people understand, recognize and respect the power that is black women. We are 16 million voters in this country in 2020. We are the highest propensity of voters in the Democratic Party. We're the most loyal voters. We don't just vote ourselves, we take our families to the polls. In addition, we're the most educated demographic in this country. Black women are bad. We're leaders, we've been leading, we are leading, and we're gonna to continue to lead. And it's gonna it's gonna be very important in this election cycle that people in every walk of the political arena is taking their lead from black women, that they're taking their lead from these black leaders that are part of this collective and beyond this collective. And that is what we're gonna do. And as Natasha said, we, yes, we call for a black woman to be VP on this ticket, but that's not the only thing that we want. We want more. Yes, we want the Supreme Court. Yes, we want black cabinet positions. Yes, we want senior black uh, leaders and black women in the administration. Yes, we want an agenda that is a black women's agenda because what we know, and we put this out on social media, when black women enter, when black women win, everybody wins. When black women enter, we see everybody. Black women, when we're at the table, we are fighting for everybody at the table. So whenever a black woman is at the table, it is to the benefit of everybody. So we are gonna make sure that people recognize, understand and respect the power that is black women. And that's what's next on our agenda. Amen. Well, in, in closing, let me just say, I'm, you know, all of you are great. And I am in formation as a black man, and I'm going to encourage my brothers to be in formation. Two, thing, two things, Latasha, I always appreciate you blessing us with song. That song you sang was the first song I learned in church as a little boy. We'll understand it better by and by. Uh, I'm not going to sing it right now. But uh, we'll do that. We'll do, we got to do something together next time. Um, also, this is one of my favorite quotes, Queens. Um, Dr. Osajefo Kwame Nkrumah, who led the independence movement in Ghana, the first president of Ghana, said these words, that a nation's, the degree of a nation's revolutionary awareness is determined by the political maturity of its women not of its men, the political maturity of its women. So you all let me know that our black nation is very much aware. We've got some work to do, folks. So follow the hashtag win with black women. There'll be more discussions like this. I'll be involved in more discussions like this. You all gonna see me fighting on social media with some people too in the days to come. They've inducted me into the K-Hive also. So we're gonna be doing all of this. We want to thank Jotega Edie, Latasha Brown, Karen Finney, uh, Mamie Groves and Christina Q. God bless all three of you. And thank you sisters. Win with black women, listen to black women. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.